welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is May 13th, 2022, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is Relax, Don't Do It, Skeletal Muscle Relaxants for Low Back Pain. And our guest skeptic is Dr. Sergei Motov. He is an emergency physician in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Miamides Medical Center in New York City. He is also one of the world's leading researchers on pain management in the emergency department and specifically on the use of ketamine. His Twitter handle is PainFreeED. Welcome back to the SGM, Sergey. It's so good to be back, Ken. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I always enjoy doing these episodes with you because pain is such an important thing to talk about because it's such a frequent presentation to the emergency department and focusing on managing pain, not curing, not eliminating, but managing pain, managing expectations, minimizing suffering is such an important part of our job. Totally agree. Couldn't say better myself. And we were talking earlier, you had a mentee recently on the show. That's correct. Yeah. And she did a fantastic job. It was so great to see these, uh, you know, the future of emergency medicine, I just have to say, looks bright when you are interacting with these talented people that are coming through the system. Amen to that. All right. Well, let's get to a case. A 45-year-old man without significant past medical history presents to your emergency department with two days of severe lower back pain after shoveling some dirt. The pain is 10 out of 10 in intensity, gets worse with bending, turning, and prolonged walking. He denies numbness or paresthesias in both lower extremities, as well as bowel or bladder dysfunctions. A heating pad and acetaminophen have not helped with the pain. On physical exam, he's in moderate distress and has prominent tenderness to palpation at the bilateral paralumbar region and intact neurovascular examination. You diagnose him with a lumbar muscle strain and plan to prescribe him a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medication while setting expectations. However, the patient wonders if you can give him something that can relax his back muscles and take his pain away. Low back pain is one of the most encountered ailments in clinical practice, and it's responsible for 2.6 million visits to the ED annually in the United States. Many patients with acute low back pain experience substantial improvement in the first month, but up to one-third report persistent back pain, and one in five, so close to 20%, report some limitation in activity. These persistent symptoms are associated with high costs, including those related to the healthcare itself, but also the indirect costs from missing work or reduced productivity. Many pharmaceutical treatments besides opioids have been tried to address acute low back pain, but with limited success. These include acetaminophen, steroids, and benzodiazepines. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, NSAIDs, are recommended as a first-line medication therapy for patients with low back pain, despite a lack of evidence of efficacy. Yeah, and we don't want to come across always uh, being physicians who are always pushing pharmaceutical solutions because there are several non-pharmaceutical treatments that have also been tried for low back pain. They include things like cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness, chiropractic, physical therapy, and acupuncture. Unfortunately, 
none of these other treatments, these non-pharmaceutical treatments, has high-quality evidence supporting their use for treating acute low back pain. Skeletal muscle relaxants, known as SMRs, are frequently used in the ED and at discharge from the ED for acute back pain management and include methocarbamol, cyclobenzaprine, arfenadrine, carisoprodol, tizanidine, metaxalone, and baclofen. Estimates suggest that up to 35% of patients with nonspecific low back pain are prescribed skeletal muscle relaxants, with arfenadrine and methocarbamol being used in more than 250,000 US ED visits for low back pain annually. What a number! Despite their branding as a muscle relaxant, their antispasmodic and analgesic effects of skeletal muscle relaxants are predominantly due to unknown mechanism of action. So let's get to the clinical question that we're going to try to address on today's episode, Sergey. The clinical question. What is the efficacy of skeletal muscle relaxant administration in addition to an NSAID in treating acute low back pain? And what reference are we bringing to the table to discuss and critically appraise? Dr. Abril and colleagues, the relative efficacy of seven skeletal muscle relaxants and analysis of data from randomized studies published in Journal of Emergency Medicine in 2022. All right, let's go through the PICO. What was the population that they included in the study? Patients were considered for inclusion for this study if they were between ages of 18 to 69 in presenting to the emergency department primarily for management of acute low back pain. This was defined as a pain of two weeks duration or less originating between the lower border of the scapula and the upper gluteal folds and received a diagnosis consistent with non-traumatic, non-radicular musculoskeletal low back pain as determined by the attending emergency physician. All patients had already received a dose of an NSAID. And there were some exclusions. I like this ridiculous pain. I read that when I first uh, saw it as ridiculous pain, but maybe that's 10 out of 10 for most people because people don't often come to the emergency department saying, you know what? This is the best pain of my life. This is a really good pain. I'm really enjoying this pain. You know, I give this a you know, three out of 10 or something like that. No, it's ridiculous, not ridiculous pain. So if you had ridiculous pain, patients were excluded. Also, if the pain duration was for more than two weeks. So they're really focusing in on these people that come in with acute low back pain, and they use a definition there of two weeks. Also, it didn't include traumatic injury. So anybody who had direct trauma to the back within the previous month was excluded from this study, or a history of experiencing low back pain on average more than several times a year. I'm, I'm thinking that they probably want to get rid of those harder to treat patients. These are the episodic person uh, and patients that come in with, you know, an acute low back pain issue. Unfortunately, they do exclude uh, women who, who are pregnant or breastfeeding, which is a limitation in a lot of research because we don't have good high quality information to uh, inform our care of this patient population. And then, of course, they excluded anyone who was allergic to the study medications. How about the interventions? And I am so happy, so happy that I didn't have to read these seven <laughs> drugs because I would probably mispronounce seven out of seven. So patients were to receive one of seven skeletal muscle relaxants, such as metaxalone, tizanidine, baclofen, diazepam, arfenadrine, methocarbamol, or cyclobenzaprine. 
okay, I think I would have gotten diazepam okay. <laughs> the rest, yeah, I'm pretty sure I would have mispronounced it. It's one of my superpowers right up there with being able to quote any 80s movie and remember any lyrics from a 1980s song. Um, they did compare this to placebo. So these were all placebo-controlled trials. Let's go through their outcomes. What was their primary outcome? Primary outcome was related to improvement in the Roland Morris Disability Questionnaire, abbreviated as RMDQ, between ED discharge and the one-week follow-up. Yeah, and this is a research scale that's used many times in these types of studies. And the RMDQ, for those not familiar with it, is a score that goes from 0 to 24, with 24 being worse and 0 being no disability. And it's generally considered that if you get a five-point improvement on the RMDQ score, that this five-point improvement would generally be considered clinically significant. So this is different than your 11-point Likert scale of pain when, you know, patients come in and they're at triage and they're told, okay, from zero to 10 with zero being no pain. And then it seems every triage nurse has some horrific explanation for what a 10 would be. I, I, I overhear them talking, oh, well, if you were electrocuted by, you know, struck by lightning, or this is the worst pain of your life, those types of things. So the RMDQ is a 0 to 24 scale, and, it, and it's important that five points is clinically significant. So we've got to watch for clinical versus statistical significance. How about the secondary outcomes? Secondary outcomes included moderate or severe low back pain one week after the ED visit and medications adverse effects, assessed by asking patients to report any symptoms from the medications and dichotomizing the responses as yes or no. So the author's conclusions were, quote, among patients in the ED with acute low back pain treated with non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, skeletal muscle relaxants do not improve outcomes more than placebo. Neither age, sex, nor baseline impairment impacts these results. End of quote. Now, we normally have a quality checklist to go through and probe the literature for its validity, but this wasn't a single randomized control trial, and this wasn't a systematic review. It was sort of, and it wasn't an observational trial, it was a hybrid a hybrid of, you know, putting four randomized control trials and commenting on those. So I wasn't quite sure. So, you know, I just put a quality checklist for non-systematic reviews, and we're going to go through those rather than going through each individual one, which is 11 questions for randomized control trials. So let's go through those quickly, and then we can get into the key results, and then I want to jive into the nerdy section. So the first question, Sergey, do you think this clinical question is sensible and answerable? Yes, I think so. Now, the primary study, because they did have four randomized control trials, do you think they were of high methodologic quality? Yes, they were. Yeah, they were randomized control trials and the methods seemed pretty good. How about the assessment of the studies? Were they reproducible? Yes. And do you think the outcomes that they were looking at, and remember they have this score, this RMDQ score, do you think that these outcomes are clinically relevant? Yes, definitely. Now, was there low statistical heterogeneity for the primary outcome? We can't really do that because they didn't do a test for heterogeneity. 
So we're just going to leave that one out. And then the sixth one, the treatment effect, was it large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? I would say no. All right. So let's get to these results. There were four randomized control trials included in this publication. Now, these randomized control trials were conducted between 2012 and 2018 by the same research group, and they had a combined total number of patients of close to 900 within these four randomized control trials. The mean age across the studies was 39 years, and the majority were male. The median RMDQ score was 18, so from 0 to 24, 18 was the median. And two-thirds had a history of low back pain. Sergey, give us the key result. All treatments, including placebo, had a clinically significant decrease in their RMDQ score without a statistical difference between groups. Yeah, I was talking with a resident on shift the other day about this uh, publication and that I was doing a critical appraisal with you on this. And, and I sort of teased it out to the resident. I said, oh yeah. And we were talking about, you know, prescribing skeletal muscle relaxants to a patient with acute low back pain. And I said, yeah, they, they do show they have a clinically significant decrease in the RMDQ and the resident's like, oh wow, great. And I said, and it was equivalent to placebo. (laughs) So what was the primary outcome? The seven skeletal muscle relaxants and placebo group reported a decrease in their RMDQ score by about 10 points. The between group differences were not statistically significantly different. We will put a table in the show notes with the point estimates and the 95% confidence intervals. Yeah, and not to put too fine a point on it, it's just all seven of the treatment modalities had a decrease that was double what would be clinically significant. So 10 points. Remember, five is that margin of being considered clinically significant on the RMDQ score, but also placebo. Placebo had a 10.5 mean improvement, and there was not a statistical difference between the placebo compared to all seven of these skeletal muscle relaxants. And when then they probed the data set, the results were similar regardless of the patient's age, the patient's sex, or the baseline severity. However, higher baseline RMDQ scores were associated with a greater clinical improvement. How about the secondary outcome, Sergey? Regarding pain intensity at one week, there was also no statistically significant differences among the groups with a p-value at 0.93. Adverse medication effects were more common with cyclobenzaprine than with placebo with a P less than 0.01. All right, you know, I've been waiting to do this. Sergey, let's talk nerdy. You're the pain-free ED guy. So let's, let's talk about five points that we wanted to highlight from this publication that included four randomized control trials and seven skeletal muscle relaxants. Sure. So first point, not a systematic review meta-analysis. This publication was a plant analysis of four randomized clinical trials looking at seven different skeletal muscle relaxants, with a total of 887 patients included. All four of the RCTs had the same principal investigator, Dr. Friedman, and he was the senior author on this manuscript. 
Dr. Friedman has contributed greatly to the area of pain management in DD and beyond. The analysis was not a systematic review meta-analysis, nor did the authors claim it to be such. The team presented the results of their four randomized control trials. Now, a more comprehensive study would have been to conduct a systematic review using, you know, the PRISMA guidelines, and this would have included an exhaustive search of the world's literature without language restrictions and of the gray literature. Some of these four randomized control trials may have been captured in that search depending on the inclusion and exclusion criteria. Point number two, statistical analysis. The authors performed a reasonably robust statistical analysis of their data. This was beyond the baseline characteristics of age, sex, RMDQ score, and type of skeletal muscle relaxants that were recorded as a mean with a standard deviation, median with interquartile range, or frequency with percent when appropriate. Yeah, their analysis included an ANOVA to determine if the between-group differences measured on the RMDQ were statistically significant. Now, as a reminder, there was no statistical or clinical five-point change difference between the seven skeletal muscle relaxants or placebo. They conducted a linear regression model to determine if there was an association with age, sex, baseline RMDQ severity, and history of back pain with that primary outcome. They also performed two logistic regression models with detailed explanations of the variables. Point number three, age restriction. None of the four randomized clinical trials included patients over the age of 69. This is very important to remember because this older cohort of patients is generally at much greater risk of adverse events from medication with sedative side effects. Yeah, I've been sensitized to this issue of geriatric emergency medicine from my BFF, Dr. Chris Carpenter. So any potential benefit of this treatment, which was not demonstrated in his publication, would need to be weighed against the potential harms. Now, the harms in a geriatric age group could be more serious. As an example, skeletal muscle relaxants could lead to more falls because of the sedative nature. Falls are the most common cause of traumatic injury resulting in older adults presenting to the emergency department. And approximately one in five or 20% of these falls results in injury. And this is the scary statistic for me. Falls are the leading cause of traumatic mortality in this age group. I'm just going to read that again. A fall are the leading cause of traumatic mortality, not morbidity, mortality in this age group. Point number four, placebo effect. This study provides more evidence than the placebo effect is real. It can be clinically significant. The mean improvement on the RMDQ score was 10.5, which is more than double what is considered clinically important. It demonstrates how easily patients can be fooled and how we, practicing ED clinicians, fool ourselves thinking that the treatment provided works, in quotes. Skeletal muscle relaxants were just as effective in lowering uh, RMDQ score as placebo. We also need to consider ethical considerations of knowingly prescribing a placebo in clinical trials or clinical practice. And the final and fifth point that we wanted to discuss 
was about nihilism. I have to admit, reading the literature about low back pain, it is really hard not to become nihilistic. There is such a serious lack of high-quality evidence demonstrating clinical improvement to inform our care. And this includes both pharmacological therapy, which we had talked about, steroids, NSAIDs, and acetaminophen, but also the non-pharmacologic therapies like chiropractic, acupuncture, massage, and physical therapy. We try to be positive skeptics, you know, scientific skeptics. We want to discover things. We want to know things. But I really do have to guard against becoming nihilistic when I am considering the literature for acute low back pain. All right, Sergey, now it's time to comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusions. We agree with the author's conclusion that combination of an NSAID and skeletal muscle relaxant does not improve acute low back pain outcomes more than an NSAID plus placebo, regardless of age, sex, baseline, functional impairment, or history of low back pain. Then bring us home and give us the bottom line. We cannot recommend the routine use of skeletal muscle relaxants in adult patients presenting to the emergency department with acute, non-traumatic, non-radicular low back pain who have already received an NSAID. All right, and can you resolve that case you presented at the beginning of the episode? Be happy to. You recommend an oral dose of ibuprofen at 400 milligram as a first-line agent and try to set reasonable expectations. Oh, I noticed that you picked a dose of 400 milligrams, not 600, not 800, because you are the gentleman who published the study looking at the various doses of ibuprofen and the ceiling effect of NSAIDs and the clinical efficacy dose. There was no statistical difference between 400, 600, and 800. Have I got that right, Sergey? Oh, sure you do did get it right. Both of us enjoyed dancing on the ceiling with appropriately dosing ibuprofen at 400 milligram. Yes, there is that ceiling effect. All right, how about clinical application? There still appears to be no great treatment options for patients presenting to DD with acute low back pain. Evidence for individual pharmaceutical therapies is limited, and this particular trial provides evidence that a combination therapy of skeletal muscle relaxant and an NSAID is not better than an NSAID alone. And one final thing that is important is to discuss expectations with the patients, setting those expectations, setting reasonable expectations. They need to know that their pain might not be completely relieved in the ED. Getting down to zero may be an unrealistic goal. It's about limiting suffering, not necessarily eliminating pain. Most patients will have persistent pain a week after presentation, and many will continue to have pain and functional impairment months after symptom onset. We need to be supportive of these patients and realistic with these patients when discussing the natural history of acute low back pain with patients. So, with that framework, Sergey, you are the pain-free ED guru. What are you going to tell the patient at the bedside? You have a muscle strain in your back. This is a very common problem. But unfortunately, it can be very painful. Ibuprofen may help lower your pain, but it is unlikely to get rid of your pain completely. Adding medications like a muscle relaxant has not shown to be more effective. Additionally, muscle relaxants can cause some very bothersome and potentially dangerous side effects, such as dizziness, 
drowsiness that may lead to loss of balance and or coordination and result in falls. Unfortunately, you may have pain over the next few weeks and even months. Try to stay active, but if your pain is getting worse, you cannot function or, are, or you are otherwise worried, please return to the ED for the assessment. All right, it's time to announce the Keener Contest winner from last episode. And that was Dr. Daniel McCollum, who is an Associate Residency Director at AUMC MCG Department of Emergency Medicine. He knew the bones in the fingers were thought to resemble a row of Greek warriors ready for battle. So Aristotle called them phalanges, Greek for meaning a close-knit roll. I'm wondering, Sergey, what did you bring for this week's Keener Contest question? Question. What is the name of the earliest known muscle relaxant used by natives of the Amazon Basin in South America as a poison put on the tips of the arrows that produced death by skeletal muscle paralysis? Ooh, a good question. So if you know the poison, which was actually a muscle relaxant that was put on the tips of the arrows of the natives in the Amazon basin in South America, then send me an email to the sgem at gmail.com with Keener in the subject line. The first correct answer will receive a cool skeptical prize. Well, thank you, pain-free ED, otherwise known as Sergey Motov, for coming back and being a great guest skeptic. My pleasure. The SGEM, always happy to be here and discuss amazing clinical topics with you, Ken. Thank you for having me. And now I will get you to read the SGEM tagline. And you can do it this time in whatever accent you feel comfortable doing. <laughs> I use my own. <laughs> well, I love, I, I, we were, we were, before we were recording, I was saying how much I love Sergey's voice because we have such generic um, voices, uh, you know, on podcasts, not just specifically this podcast, because I like to get guests from around the world. But of course, hearing my own voice is, you know, hearing your own voice is always so, uh, but, oh, Sergey, you have such a great accent. I could listen to your voice all day. So please use your own accent and give us the tagline. Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the one and only The Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next time. <laughs> <laughs>